kind of funny. I don't think I know who Travis is. Like what that ba- it's a, like a '90s band, right? It's yeah. It like a, I'm trying to think of. They must have been. In is it like a, a movie trip hop? It's like no. a trip hop sort of a thing. No, it's a lot like Coldplay. It's a uh, very Brit. Okay, Brit-pop. so it's like it's Brit pop. Brit pop. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was like in that group that like uh, Blur was in or in that group that Portishead was in. Um, but it was definitely one of those two 90s subgenres. Yeah, well, it was... I don't know if it was... I don't know, I wouldn't consider them to be like Blur, but the, their, their breakout hit involved them essentially ripping off the chords to Wonderwall. And then in the song, he comments on the, what the hell is a Wonderwall anyway? Like, in the song. Mm-hmm. So it's just, like, you know, really meta, self-referential kind of a thing. And I don't know. It was... Do you, they were okay are, for are what you they dog, were. Are you dogmatic about that sort of thing? Where, like, if something has the same chord progression, you, like, they ripped off the chords? Uh, no. No, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, jeez. I mean, the Ramones rip themselves off all the time. <laughs> like, a lot, of ba- a lot of bands use the same chords or... I mean, there's... I think even just the AV Club just posted an article about, like, these songs sound exactly alike. Because I think, like, the Sam Smith song, that's, like, a huge hit, Stay With Me, sounds just like I Won't Back Down. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's like, okay, so melodies sound alike and chord progressions sound alike. You know, I mean, it's hard to say, like, if somebody listens to something, whether it just seeps into their subconscious and then they just wind up writing a song without even thinking about it. Um, but, or, like, in the case of, like, what Green Day did with uh, American Idiot or whatever, obviously they're borrowing, uh, like, Brian Adams or whatever to incorporate into their nine-minute epic song. So I think they consciously do I'm not that. aware of that one. Yeah, I forgot which... It's like they're one of their nine-minute songs on that album where all of a sudden it becomes Summer of 69. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's just... I mean, I kind of I like that. Like, Ockerville River at the end of uh, the stand-ins... Not the stand-ins, the stage names. At the end of the stage names, they have John Allen Smith's Sales, and it's this... It's a song about you know, some poet or whatever who committed suicide, but it ends with... Sloop John B? It just... Yeah, it just turns into Sloop John Bates. Yeah, I love that too. I never mind that, actually. Yeah. I've, th- I've probably have done it. I'm, I don't know specific I know examples. for a fact, I know for a fact I've done that, just because, like, can, can you tell me what you, the first, could you, you have a new album out. What's the name of your album? Allodinia. I'm going to let you, <laughs> I'm going to let you pronounce it. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, and um, the reason for that title is simply due to the fact that at one point in time, not too long ago, it actually hurt to walk outside. The air was so painful on the left side of my face that I could I could barely just like walk outside because whenever the wind would pick up, my face would hurt, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" You know, and that's just another. Um, sort of symptom that comes with having shingles is like sensitivity to everything. So, cause allodynia is a condition in which things that shouldn't hurt hurt. Is that like yes. broadly what that means? Yeah, pretty much. I couldn't remember if it was the incapable of feeling uh pleasure. Oh, that's, that's adhedonia. Yeah. That's adhedonia. Mm-hmm. 
Which would have been a much worse title for Annie Hall. Yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a terrible title for Annie Hall. Um, what was the first song you wrote? Do you remember? Hmm. I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, we could go way back to like me being goofy. But I mean, like first sort of serious song where I'm like, I'm gonna sit down and write something. And well, what what was the first goofy song you wrote? Well, um, my friend and I, uh, we were just sort of hanging out and studying for the To Kill a Mockingbird exam that we were going to have the next day, and, uh, you know, we read the book and everything, we watched the movie, but, you know, we just wanted another way to retain, like, certain plot details, and, uh, just to make sure we did good on the test. Um, I think this was 10th grade, maybe? So I was, like, 16? Um... And we just decided to record a song with my uh, Yamaha keyboard. Just like, you know, how it used to have preset songs like, oh, this is, an a, re- this is a reggae song. And, you know, like, yeah, this is a polka. Rhythm, like, beats and rhythms and stuff. Yeah, so we just chose one of those at random and sort of started talk singing about To Kill a Mockingbird on there and... Um, that was like the first sort of conscious effort. I mean, it was improvised, so we didn't like sit down and write it out or anything. We just sort of yeah. tried by memory discussing details of To Kill a Mockingbird. And that was like our first song, um, that we ever sort of did under the band name Einstein's Creation at the time. And once I started handing out tapes of this goofy song to my friends, people were really liking it and laughing and having a good time. And I was like, oh, so this is a good way to make friends and... Um, yeah. we just recorded Goofy songs. That is... Mm, oh, wow! Look at that sandwich! Oh, wow! Look at that sandwich! It's a big one, Gordon. <laughs> wow! Look at that sandwich! Wow! That, that is definitely, like, the sole driving purpose for anyone Probably to make any art at all, but definitely anyone I know to, like, write songs. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, I want someone to look at me as I say something that I feel or think. Pretty much. Or I just want to, you know, I'm not the funniest guy in the world, but I was I was figuring out ways I can make people laugh, and that was through these goofy movies I made oh, and wow. these goofy songs. Look and, at that you know, sandwich. <laughs> some people would roll their eyes, and some people would, would re- actually find it funny. And I became really close friends with, like, three or four people individuals who we all sort of shared the same sense of humor and that really helped get us through high school because we all were socially awkward um so i mean like writing songs like at at that time was just more for fun with friends and you know nothing i took seriously until of course i heard nirvana (laughs) and you know but for me like as much as a visceral impact nirvana had at the time for everybody in high school um, going to a record store and trying to find other things was just as exciting to actually like shop and browse and talk to the owner about like, you know, what's new and seeing what was on their dry erase board for new releases. And, uh, so is it, did this, so all of, so this Nirvana, everything that happened after you were 16 or happened around the, around the same time actually. But I mean, so that's when you got into music hardcore. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up listening to the Beatles and the Beach Boys and all that stuff because, you know, it's what my dad had lying around on vinyl, but really it was like, that's when I said I want to pick up a guitar and learn how to write songs was hearing Nirvana and then 
the alternative movement of sorts. Because really, like, after Nirvana, you started watching 120 minutes and start realizing, oh, there's so much shit out there besides Nirvana that, uh, you know, came right. out way before it, too. You know, the the biggest influence for me at the time was Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. Like, her writing really personal shit confessionally and directly and, you know, sometimes without metaphor, just saying, like, I'm horny, this is what I'm feeling... You know, almost like journal entries um, kind of approach to songwriting, which is what really got me um, into, like, I just want to write songs like this kind of approach. So, so what was the, what, when, how old were you, what was the situation when you first started writing, like, serious songs? I'd say probably a year, um, after Nirvana broke, I think, like, around 17, um, Mm -hmm. listening to, like, you know, Liz Fair and Matthew Sweet and a bunch of other stuff, uh, at the time was kind of like, I wanted to be in a band, and, you know, I met people through other friends, and... You know, I became really close with an incredible drummer who was like a jazz drummer um, and who happened to just love the Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana, too. And we just started jamming out covers. And, um, yeah, we got along really well and just started to pick up people that we knew and formed a band. So how many people ended up being in that band? Because it started off with the two of you. And then how many people ended up being in the band total? Five. Okay. Two guitarists, bassist, drummer. Yes. Singer? Yes. Um, okay. And then eventually we, we actually picked up, uh, oddly enough, this is what's kind of interesting to correlate to the new album, is my one of my closest friends at the time was this girl named Sarah, who I thought was, like, the most talented person I knew. I mean, she was in choir, and she was in band, and she just, like, you know, music came very naturally to her, and that's how we became really good friends, was just, like, we both loved music so much. And I hadn't talked with her, I don't know, like, 10 years or something. Like, I, we hadn't really kept in touch at all until just recently on Facebook. She told me, like, I've been listening to a lot of your music, and it's and it's it's gotten me through a lot, and I love going to SoundCloud and seeing when you upload covers and whatnot. And it's like, holy crap. Because, I, I mean, her and I, we collaborated a lot very, very early on in high school. And then I said, you know what, why don't... I want you to be on this new album somehow. Like, even if you just have GarageBand, you can record your vocals and just send it to me through Dropbox. And to me, that was really special to, like, have her appear on a song on this new album because she's one of the main reasons and first collaborators I ever had musically. Um, and she's incredibly talented. So, so wait, now you have to flash back because you, you, said, you said how you got back in touch with her, but you didn't say... Was she in the band? Yeah, she was in the band uh, late later <coughs> on. Um, she was in this band called Midian, named after uh, Clive Barker's uh, Nightbreed. Um, right. So yeah, we just. Uh, I think was Nightbreed called? I think Nightbreed was the film. Oh yeah, and Cabal. Cabal was the yes, book. yes, that's correct. Yeah, but it's the pl- it's the place in the book mm-hmm. where all the freaks yeah. go. Sure, sure, sure. It's a that's a very nineties uh name and a very nineties uh explanation. 
Yeah, but I th- to this day, <coughs> I think the hardest thing is to settle into a sound. And that's reflected all the way back then. Because everybody in the band had very different influences. Um, I mean, we all liked pretty much the music that was popular at the time, like the Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, whatever. But we were all very different people. We all approached music very differently. Um, because some had like a music theory background, some just loved to play. And my closest friend at the time, Dan, he just loved Metallica. <laughs> And he was more of a lead guitarist. Um, but, you know, it's just weird to think that even now, I can never, like, just say, this is my sound, and this is where I want to be, and this is what I want to settle into, like a niche kind of sound, where I, I just like so much kinds, of, I, so many different kinds of music that I want to try different kinds of music, and that is exactly what we did in Midian. Like, we could never just decide on a so sound. You, so you, you guys were mostly doing covers, right? Yeah, for the most part, we eventually so, started so, doing so give shoegazy me, type stuff. Sure. So, give me some of the names of, like, the give me the a variety. Like, if you say you're doing all sorts of different kinds of stuff, like, give me where what what were your uh, what what kind of variety of songs were you covering? Um, we did obviously we t- had to do a Smashing Pumpkins song, and we did today because that was mm-hmm. huge at the time. Um, uh, and <laughs> we did a slow dive song. Uh, because we we couldn't decide like how goth we wanted to become, and sure, uh, you know we love the Cure and all that stuff, but uh, a slow dive song called "Here She Comes," which is just a really beautiful song, and but playing that live for a bunch of people who are huge into Nine Inch Nails, don't I don't recommend that because they just <laughs> tune out really <laughs> the, quickly. the The world of dream pop is not quite aggressive enough. No, for some people. No, definitely not. And the funny thing was, is like the bands that were popular that like won all the battle of the bands and, you know, I almost think of them as like the stained of their time. And that's what was huge with like everybody. Um, (laughs) What state? It wasn't stained. wasn't huge. No, I mean, like the, what did they sound like? The bands that literally just sounded exactly like Pearl Jam or Mm -hmm. there was a band called Allison's Mailbox that sounded exactly like Alice in Chains, and they got the bigger following than us because we never settled into a sound. We just tried. We wanted to do sure. heavier shit. We wanted to do, um, you know, Cure type ballads, and you know that's the thing. Is like I think people want something consistent with a band. Uh, <clears throat> I I never have. Like that's the thing I can say now too with. I'm not a I'm not as huge into the Smashing Pumpkins as I w- used to be, but something like Melancholy, every song sounds different, and I th- I love that actually. Yeah. So or like even just going back, like the White Album to me is the quintessential. Yeah. Oh, this this goes everywhere. Right. Like you at, on the same album, you have Honey Pie and you have Revolution Nine and you have Helter Skelter and you have Dear Prudence. It's like okay, yeah, they're going everywhere. And no, of course, there's no Beatles clips in this. I'm not crazy. Yeah, and I've I've always liked that approach. And but I mean, you know, even somebody like um you know, Matthew Sweet is kind of just a very sort of power poppy big star Neil Young kind of songwriter. Like the simplicity of his songs I really like and every now and then that's cool too. But uh I mean we did we did a lot of popular stuff at the time. 
Um, is it, did you do any covers that you'd be like embarrassed to admit now? And then can you admit it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess Green Day's did you do like Basket Case? Do you have <laughs> Which I don't, I don't. That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't dislike Green Day. It's just you know everybody was into them, so we just did it just to do it, and not that we were excited about it or anything. You do a uh, Hey Jealousy. We might have. Done a Jim Blossom song. Now that I think about it, um, yeah, because you had the, you had the, you had the one you had the singer who wasn't playing an instrument, so that's that's prime for Jim Blossoms because that person can hold the tambourine. Mm. Um, probably Candlebox. I th- I don't know if we did oh. Candlebox actually. Maybe we did. <laughs> oh god, what about cowboy cowboy mouth. If we're just gonna if we're just gonna start naming <laughs> weird '90s bands, did you do Cowboy Mouth? I don't think so. <coughs> I don't know Cowboy okay. Mouth. Uh, Cowboy Mouth is Janie says turn on the radio. Janie, it's 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 a weird. It's like uh, it's pretty bad. Well, thankfully we never did. Think, we never did yeah. something as bad as Silver Chair, so we're okay. So you, yeah, you never did Silver Chair. Uh, I'm trying. What would the most embarrassing thing of the '90s? Like maybe a, did you do like a uh, Soul Asylum? Yeah. <laughs> Runaway train. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Okay, so, so you're doing all these covers, but when did you when did you start writing songs? When I started having crushes. And okay. um, you know, it's never like that's the motivation. It's just sort of like that's what I'm feeling and longing and all that crap and um I don't know. I mean, and what's funny too is like the first original song I can think of that I wrote for for the band. It sounds exactly like a Smashing Pumpkins song to where that was one of the first times I was like, I wonder if Billy Corgan heard our song and stole the riff. <laughs> um, yeah, you know that's how yeah, delusional we get. But exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, like, it's just one of those. Oh, I wish she would like me. Songs, kind of a deal, mm-hmm. and you know. It's, love songs are easy to, an easy go-to, and every time I say I, like even recently just writing something like Cryptography, I felt like that was a bigger challenge than to just write about love. We're watching over them, look up and within, and the are shining. And, like, that comes very naturally to me. Like, my favorite song that I've written is still Purple Heart because it has all the elements of music that I love and lyrics that are very simple and it also was one of those songs that just came to me almost naturally like it just just sort of wrote itself So when you're talking about uh, like writing a song that sounds like a Smashing Pumpkins song, because eventually, 
I, like when I met you, you had you were very into a singer songwriter kind of place where it was just you and an acoustic guitar. But at this point, you're writing for a band. Do you remember like what your process was? Like you just sitting down and writing a song. Like did you start like just noodling around trying to find a riff, or did you write lyrics first, or what? What was your process, if you remember? I would say it's still very similar to how I do it now, where. It could be I'm doing something on autopilot and I hear a melody in my head. Like a lot of it has happened while I'm driving. Um, and, you know, if I'm even if I'm listening to podcasts or whatever, I'll still hear music inside of my head. <laughs> and it's sort of just a melody forms somehow. Like I'll hear da 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 or something. And I try to figure out a way to, you know, match lyrics to what I'm hearing in my head. And, you know, but I mean, sometimes too, yeah, it is, it is um, a case of just picking up the guitar and writing a song in the traditional sense. But I would say predominantly that's like, that's my process is like, I hear something and it just won't go away and it becomes like this itch I have to scratch. Um, So, I mean, I usually try to match a guitar series of chords to the melody in my head more more uh-huh. more than anything else and then i try to write lyrics to the melody that i'm hearing so i like melody and chords are like mostly where i start out with and then like lyrics sort of develop later on like i never start off with lyrics and say okay i got to write a song to this set of lyrics is it cuz you're cuz you, but you're i i mean this isn't an insult at all but you're like your songs don't feel melodically driven at least like when i was listening to your new album like like the your mel you kind of go like especially with the rhythm of your vocals you have like some you always have some very strange phrasing yes uh, where you're not sort of tied down to a single melody uh you know like the way like you hear a Bob Dylan song and he has the exact same vocal melody and he's doing like 15 verses and they all sound the same like uh like yours you you kind of feel like you're on the opposite spectrum where you they don't feel tied to a melody necessarily well even um I mean, that doesn't happen with every song, including the ones on the new album, but I can distinctly remember driving and hearing da 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 and that was the chorus for keeping me inside. I have faith in me, but not in this body. Like, I remember mm-hmm. having that develop and just, like, going, okay, I gotta think of what would go with that, and then... What was I feeling at the time? Well, it's winter, and I just moved back, and I'm feeling anxious about that. And instead of like going out and doing anything, I felt like anxiety was keeping me inside. So I just sort of wrote to that. And but that was that's that's definitely a case of like that chorus came to me first in my head. But that doesn't always happen. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it can it can it can vary it up <laughs> from time to time. Um, yeah, I. Uh... God, when I, f- I started writing songs, like I had a guitar and I knew how to play it, but I just, I had an electric guitar before I ever had an acoustic guitar and my electric guitar, I just played White Stripe songs because I'm a ter- I'm still to this day, not a musician. Like I'm a very poor guitarist. Um, I just, I have, uh, my fine motor skills are actually like very terrible for a myriad of neurological uh, reasons like I, when I was when I was growing up, I had to do like physical therapy because I couldn't hold a pencil correctly. Oh wow! I just like I like gripped pencils and and crayons or whatever. I just gripped them in my fist, hmm. and like I had to go to physical therapy to learn 
like how to hold a pencil. And even to this day, I don't hold it where it's like lying flat on the side of my wrist. I always, it, it's, it always is facing straight up in the air when I write and I have terrible handwriting. So like there's that. And then I, there's a medication I took that sort of further deteriorated, deteriorated, whatever my uh, fine motor skills. And so I'm just like, not a good guitarist. So I would just play white stripe songs because those are fucking easy. It's just, your hand only has to kind of be one shape and it's just about moving <laughs> that shape around the guitar. Uh, yeah, no, so, I, that, that's not what I respond to the most with, with a lot of music is necessarily like, Oh, you know, they're, they're a great guitarist or even a great musician there. I just want the emotion to come through. And that's something that I've felt since the very beginning. Yeah. Like even you had a, that title song, praise the Lord, where you're screaming. You know, yeah. like to me, it's yeah. like there's there's album, raw yeah. emotion right there. On the opening album of Praise the Lord, I set up because all all of my albums were just recorded with the internal microphone that's on my laptop, which is why all of my there's just a it, it it kind of almost sounds similar to the whirring you hear in like the old Mountain Goats recordings, you know, that he recorded on the boombox, like the whirring. Oh, yeah. tape. But instead, it's the it's the sound of my like laptop's fan <laughs> and, and the computer like you know clicking and stuff. Oh yeah, for praise the Lord, I just set the laptop up in the living room and then I walked into an adjacent room where there was uh, the uh, washing machine and I just screamed a song while I slammed the washing machine. Yay. Um, but but like but like but like, yeah but like the way I got there so so for a while I was just doing covers. I wasn't really writing anything because I was just incapable of there's there's a certain level of capability you need to have with a guitar to just be like do 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 no that's not working. Do do and just like be able to go through different melodies or riffs or even chord progressions quick enough to like find something that sounds right Mm -hmm. and i was just not capable of that i mean it sounds like if you're writing songs that sort of sound like smashing pumpkins at the point when you were in a band you were at least a capable rhythm i'm assuming rhythm guitarist oh yeah yeah i mean i was never taught i just sort of taught myself and mostly just by watching live videos and like you know just oh really yeah i just sort of like mimicked what i saw in terms of the chords and stuff i mean i read chord charts and tablature and stuff so that's another way i learned so um what was i say oh yeah but uh so then when i was in college i saw a documentary about daniel johnston and daniel johnston the whole sort of thrust of his popularity of his importance of his music of his music is just he has extreme emotions that he lets out very very earnestly and honestly with nothing in between Mm -hmm. Um, not 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 coded in anything and he's a terrible guitarist and he's a terrible singer but it but people respond to the honesty and i was like well i'm a terrible guitarist i'm a terrible singer but i also am feeling just depressed and suicidal or whatever and i could just scream about that but so i had a, a like the first thing i did when i was started working 
on songs was just like, I didn't know what a song was really. I don't think I understood until I tried to write a song that like a song isn't just two things over and over again. If you come here, if you come here, if you come here, bring a man. If you come unto my love, I will kick you again. If you come into my place, my place at home, my place, my place. If you come into my place again, I will kick you, man. I'll kick you, man. Um, so, like, I did my first EP. I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Open All Winter. I don't know. Was that on CLLCT? It might have been. It was. Mm. It was. But it was... Um, God, it's it's really really terrible like i mean I, th- I think all my music is pretty bad but like that one is just like there's just songs that are oh the other thing was that i wasn't i didn't even have audacity at the time i had uh the the program i was using was just microsoft sound recorder oh and that had a minute limit oh, <laughs> like no. you would you would hit record and then it would record for a minute and then it would stop recording and so for the first half of me writing and recording that album, I was just like, well, these songs all have to be under a minute. So they would just be like these weirdly shaped, super brief things that kind of had a melody and but weren't really anything. And and then I realized that you could in Microsoft Sound Recorder press record, let it record for a full minute, and then go to the end and press record again and it will start recording at the at, at the end of that <laughs> and if you do that about 5 times then you have then you can go back to the beginning and you have 5 minutes of recording space yeah. so I, I had i had to like trick the program i was even using into letting me record songs so like then i was able to write songs that were 2 or 3 minutes or whatever but um yeah that first album it was just me doing any like is this a song what if i just did this weird three note progression over and over again and i just sang that those three notes over and over again and there was no chorus or verse or even reason to the lyrics and is that a song no not really but i'll put it on the album anyway um it was it was a weird learning process of figuring out what a song was <laughs> it sounds yeah, I, like I, you i wonder about that because like uh, my experience of learning how to write songs with with other people, <laughs> right? In a room. Exactly. I was about to say it sounded like like you were bouncing off people, people who could play, and it's just like when it's just you and you're and I was doing all my stuff live with one take. You know, I couldn't do any multi track recording, so like when it's just you and you're not a good musician to begin with, what you can even accomplish is extremely limited. And it sounds like like you could come in with something and maybe it wouldn't be that great, but then like you could work with other people and it's like, Oh, but this, this kind of sounds a little lame, but once it has this drum beat behind it, then it has en- this energy or this, or that, like, I, I wonder, did that, cause you don't do that anymore though. Like you haven't been in a band for a long time. No. And I think it's 
I don't know. It's it's part of me like craves that again, but at the same time, it's it's harder as you get older to make schedules work to make that happen. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I I enjoy the process. I loved collaborating with people, and but at the same time, you atten- you have a tendency to treat certain things like like they're your baby, and you don't want them toyed with too much you don't want you don't want people to mess with your vision or if you hear something in your head and then it doesn't turn out the way that you wanted it to um then it becomes disappointing and a lot of that was just like differences over lyrics and you know me wanting to make things simpler while the um lead singer wanted to throw in more metaphors or something and i was just like okay that's cool whatever you want to do like i just i was just enjoying playing music and even now, when I'm playing songs at a church, I'm not, like, into the music very much. I'm not like, oh, I love this song about Jesus, but I just love playing. I don't care. I'll play anything of any kind, anytime, anywhere. And I get a lot out of that. So, I mean, back then, if there were compromises that I had to make, I didn't, like, go to sleep pissed off about it or at all. I just was glad yeah. that I had this band, even if we were, like, you know struggling a bit or we couldn't adhere to a sound we would spend time in an actual recording studio where our parents would all pitch in together and we'd collaborate in a recording studio and that made us feel like rock stars <laughs> you know just temporarily that's that's, cra- that's crazy i was just i was just picturing this whole time that it was basement whose idea was the recording studio that's so that's so lavish <laughs> whose idea was that <laughs> i don't know i don't know if it was a specific person or if we just like I mean, I think... Like, know, did you have an engineer there recording yeah. you? Or? Oh, yeah. Back in Northwest Indiana, there were, they were there. Um, like, they pretty much just turned their houses into recording studios and, you know, yeah. charged however much an hour or whatever. And, like, you know, we just worked minimum wage, crappy part-time jobs, so we managed to talk our parents into helping out and just, like, pitching in to, you know, for all of us to put out a record and... Um, Okay, well, I, I thought you were talking about, like, rehearsals or whatever. Like, so you actually, so, but when you were originally playing together, was it in a recording studio? Oh, no. We, it was it was in the basement. Like, just, you know. Okay, so you just went to a recording studio to record an album. Yes. Okay. No, I'm sorry. That's a way different image in my head. <laughs> I thought you were just like, like, oh, yeah, like, when we were learning these songs, like, we decided the best place to do it would be in a place where, like, where, <laughs> like with, the, with optimal... Uh, sound and everything, so we went to a recording studio. Nope, not quite. No, no, no. But we got no, there. Okay. We got to record in an actual studio, and that made us feel pretty cool. Um, and then, like at the time, and that's the other thing. I don't know what to do in this digital age because at the time it was all about we have to send our demo out to record labels so they will sign us and get us shows. Um, yeah. And now I don't know what to do. Like, I don't have the impetus to really go out and play like I used to, even if it's just me and a guitar. I don't know why. Like, I don't have that motivation anymore. Um, but I do want, especially since I really like these songs, for the first time in a while, instead of just putting it out and being like, okay, everybody, bye, I actually want to get people to review it. Um but I mean, you know, I don't expect to get signed or I'm not going to be on Drag City or whatever and touring with it. I'm not, that's not a goal of mine anymore, but I certainly would like to just hear more input and feedback from other music fans. Well, have you submitted to blogs or whatever? Like, I'm, blogs I'm, would be it. I'm going right? to, I'm going to. That's, that's my next 
endeavor to like spend a couple hours just saying, Hey, listen to this, listen to this. And one of my closest friends, Dan Solomon, who was on our uh, Noah Baumbach episode, he's, he's more or less an established Austin based journalist of sorts. And I asked him outright, like, what is the process now? Other than just like sending a link to your album, because back even when I put out deathless, I was mailing out hard copy CDs to get reviews. And now it's like, here's a link to my band camp, I guess, <laughs> you know, so I don't know what that to seems do. like so much easier to ignore the fantasy. Yeah, is exactly. The, there's the Woody Allen story for uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, where the uh, the song that plays over the opening credits was like just one of many record, like many CDs of music that they are constantly sent to his office or whatever, just because, you know, people want their music to be in his films. And he never listens to them, but that one he just like had to go somewhere, and so he just had to have something on in the car, and he'd pick up that album, and he was like, "Oh, this is perfect for the movie I'm writing." <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like that's that's like the dream is like it's a one in a million shot, but maybe they'll just be like maybe if I hand this CD to Dave Grohl, he'll just be bored, and he'll be bored on the tour bus or whatever, and he'll just put it in out of curiosity, and it'll blow his mind. Like, I know, and I've done that. I've g- yeah. I gave it to Glenn Hansard from the movie once, uh-huh. and uh, like his band was at Lollapalooza, and I met him, and you know we talked about uh, Wilco and stuff, and you know it was just cool. He was a really down to earth, nice guy, just like you'd expect. And of course, I gave him a CD, and I expect it every time I do that. I'm like, eh, it'll just sit on a pile, or it'll go in the trash. But at least right, I right. did something. I did. I gave it yeah. out. But I don't know what the ultimate goal is now, because even in something like Hustle and Flow. What's the, like, moment of celebration? My song's on the radio! You know, and I don't even know if that's a goal anymore because, I mean, radio exists and there are great radio stations out there still, but um, I don't know what the ultimate goal is after you put out an album. Like, originally, well, to if, hear your song on the radio was a big high. If if you're not going to... If, if, if you're not going to perform live... And and get people to know you and your music that way, then you probably are just like, well, then it's just not going to happen. Pretty much, that is. I think <laughs> that is just how it works now. Is that people like live performances are still big, and especially in a big city like Chicago, or whatever. It's just like there's a million venues that you can get on and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it would just require a band, and you know, it's so hard to do when you have other shit sure. going on and. I mean, but, like, realistically, still, to this day, is the idea of recording instrumentals and having them um, out there for, you know, filmmakers to use, or if I could compose a score to a movie, that's, like, the number one dream, the number one goal that I've set out for, and here, even just, like... Well, you have you have composed scores for movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, you know, they were just mostly documentaries for, you know, Colin Suter and stuff, but... Um, you know, the fact that one of his movies played at the Siskel Center and getting to hear your score on the big screen is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I consider that an accomplishment. But, you know, I, I think, um, especially after sending out emails to, like, um, composer agents, <laughs> you know, like, I didn't, I, I never, like, investigated it thoroughly. I just went up, like, okay, well, how is the, uh, how is Cliff Martinez getting, I mean, as many gigs as he has, obviously because he has a resume and he has an agent and he's got an established, uh, you know, pedigree. So, I mean, like, I was trying to figure out how do you get work? 
essentially. I, I think probably the best way to do that would be to start locally and just like yeah, pretty reach much. out to local local filmmakers. I mean, like Sean Pierce, like you just give Sean Pierce an album of instrumentals and stuff and be like, look, I'm interested in composing film music. This is things I've done. Like you could give him a copy of one of Colin's movies that you wrote this, you know, that you did the score for. And just, and just like, you know, people that you know who live in the area who are making these smaller budget movies who don't have a big budget uh, for a film music, that's probably very valuable for them. And then once you get more and more, then it's like, oh, then you can have a res, like, then you have a body of work that you can point to. Yeah. And that's pretty much the overall response I got from these agents. Like, I was, I remember used to just sending stuff out and either getting rejection letters or complete ignorance. <laughs> and the email makes it easy to just be like, okay, um, you know, we're not taking any, we're not taking on anybody new right now, but here's what you might want to do. And that's pretty much exactly what they said. Reach out locally, mm-hmm. look on Kickstarter or, you know, look at independent filmmakers who can't, you know, necessarily afford a Cliff Martinez. And, I'm like, great, I'll do that. I'm more than happy to even just work for free just to have right, a right. body of work. And I'm, I'm excited for that. But even one, of, thing even might... one of them replied and said, hey, guess what? Send me your stuff. We'll see. And I was like, that's cool. That's a nice uh, so, step uh, in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I mean, I know you don't play video games at all, but uh, – the independent video game scene has just over the past like several years just exploded and there's just hundreds of video games being made everywhere and and all for they're all just projects of passion they're not you know works of that have yeah, they're not they don't have a lot of money behind them and it's and these all these games need music um Hmm. You know, and I'm sure a lot of the music, like a lot of the styles of music they're going for would be things that wouldn't necessarily interest you. But at the same time, like the kind of John Carpenter, Tangerine Dream sort of music that's in Renaissance right now because uh, of Nicholas Winding yeah. Refn. Yeah. Like that is also extremely popular in these kinds of games. Uh, and, you know, so it's, that'd be an option as well. But I do want to get back to. OK, so like I want to know what the process is for you from completed song or no, from you're driving around and a melody's in your head to the song is complete. At what point do you, because you, you know, so you have a melody kicking around your head and you try to put words to it. And then do you, at some point, what, at what point do you like sit down with a guitar or your keyboard or whatever and like actually work out the song? Um, You know, I think, well, like I said, the melody sometimes starts things off and it's very easy too now with phones to just like hum the melody and save it for later. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And then I go home and I take that melody and try to find chords on the piano to match it or chords on the guitar to match it. And then I just set up a microphone and sort of just hope for the best. Uh, you know, and I have, you know, Microsoft Word open and I start typing out whatever I'm feeling. I never like overthink lyrics and I never. No. I never think like I have to specifically write about this one thing right now, or they sort of just happen organically and I don't critique them the way I do with, um, uh, vocals and the production. Like I tend to get really, uh, critical of singing because I don't sing very well. Most of the time it's just like, 
I hope the emotion comes through, and that's great. If that comes through, then I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Because like I'm, I'm just not. I don't have one of those. I'm not going to sing like Jeff Buckley. So, so be it. That's fine. Um, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember like what it was like to find your voice? Because that's the other funny thing about like listening to my old albums is that I didn't actually know what my singing voice was. Like I could, I could sing low because I was into the national or whatever. So I could like try to do something like that. I could also sing like John Darnell. I love getting my hopes up. I love chasing after you. And then, but then sometimes that felt like a, that was a put on. And like, and, and to this day, I still feel like I don't have a very solid, like, this is what it sounds like when I sing a song. I, it usually varies from song to song. Yeah. My voice, both speaking voice and singing voice, I always found to be too trebly, but then I'm like, well, Billy Corgan's made a career for himself, you know, and like his, mm-hmm. his, his screeching, screaming, um, like I always thought some of, some of his heavier songs, with the exception of something like Cherub Rock that is very melody based, um, I never really like was huge into them because of his voice, but I loved his ballads and I always thought his voice complemented more acoustic type songs a lot better. Um, and so that's why maybe I've predominantly chosen to write, you know, slower songs and less distorted, crazier, fast-paced songs over the years, just because, like, I think that's what fits my voice. Um, yeah, I'm I'm terrified of I'm terrified of slow songs. I can't do them because they. I mean, number one, I'm just that's generally not the kind of music I'm into. But also, I I just don't like my voice so much that it's like, well, it better be quick and have wordplay. And a bouncy melody and stuff because people are definitely not going to enjoy just hearing me sing slowly. <laughs> like I, I'm terrified of ballads. I wrote, I, I, I wrote some, but I don't think this new record's going to have any. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's cool yeah. that even just this new record has a little more energy to it than other ones I've done lately. slow songs for the end whereas like in the past i think i kind of just wanted to focus more on slower stuff and mm-hmm. I've, I've done i think i've done a nice balance with this new album but i mean going back to just what how do i feel when a song is over like when it's done when it's completed when i've said okay i've rendered everything i'm happy with it i have to take yeah, it are you are you ever are you ever making changes still while you're like because especially this song the way or this album, the way you did it, all the songs kind of segue into each other. Yeah, it's kind of funny that like that didn't really. I wasn't setting out to do that; it just sort of happened. No, yeah, yeah, no. Well, I I felt like it was very deliberate. I know, so, right? I mean, that shows how much that show that shows how much you can judge an artist's intent by 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 consuming art. But like, yeah, for me, I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing that he set out to do. Because <laughs> it's not um, like a concept but, uh, album or anything. It's just it's, right, right. It's just kind of cool when that happens, like when some songs sort of just feed into each other. And, you know, I, I was... And also just, I mean, you don't have a tradition, like you have done in the past, very just power pop, 
kind of strong opening, strong closing. But these songs, because there's so much ambient sound and electronic uh, flourishes and stuff, they kind of just you you kind of fade into the song and you kind of fade out. So that's kind of why the songs end up fading into each other because they often have these kind of electronic touches at the end and the beginning and yeah. throughout, but like especially at the at the end of the beginning. Like so, when you're doing all of that, is that a lot of just experimenting, or do you like have mm-hmm. a very strong idea of like, oh no, I want this specific synth kind of sound or this pad or whatever. There were a couple of songs here and there where I'm like, I really hope this sounds like New Order. Or, you know, I mean, I think there's like a a B-side where it's like, oh my god, that's the exact same bass sound as New Order, cool. Um, You know, and I have moments like that, but especially when I'm tweaking with it or adding overdubs and stuff, it's a matter of just like going through mostly the keyboard and finding a sound that I don't find to be really obnoxious or grating or it just complements the song. Uh It's, It's never like a... A lot of it is just instinctual. A lot of it's not, like, pre-planned. It's just sort of just happens on its own, and that's kind of when I'm the happiest. Like, when I sit and sort of, like, go over and over and over and over things, it becomes, you know, a process that I just don't enjoy anymore. And I kind of like... I like the... I mean, I'm definitely very critical of myself, and, you know, people in the past have certainly seen me, like, (laughs) sort of uh, have violent outbursts at myself in like when I'm recording something and it's not coming out the way I want it to, or I'm my vocals aren't really meshing well. And I've had those moments for sure. But, uh, Uh you know, I think for the most part, I love it when a song just sort of writes itself and I don't have to do too much tweaking. I mean, most of, most of the time spent even just these past few weeks was like listening to it in my car and figuring out the track order. Like I mentioned to you when we last talked, it was just like, yeah, I have to figure out how this will flow together and, you know, decide which songs need to get cut because sometimes I'm not the best judge of that, which is why I tend to put out all my B sides for everybody. Just like make your own album. (laughs) Yeah. And you might as well. I mean, people tend to not listen to things as albums anyway, so you might as well just put out everything. Yeah, you know, and it's not like you have a a career. It's not like oh, because you got to worry about saturating the market. You got to worry about doing this. It's like oh, you want to save something for the inevitable deluxe reissue. Like you don't have to do any of that shit. <laughs> like no, you just I made music and here it is. Yeah, and it feels that's kind of to do that. And I yeah, think that's, that's kind of you should be excited too. That's kind of the idea I have for my uh, album development blog, which is just like literally. By the time my album is released, anyone who has been following that blog will have heard it and heard every iteration of it because the second a song is done, like the second I finish recording an actual song and producing it and whatever, I mean, you're going to have to help me on all of that shit because that, that's going to be an uphill battle for you just trying to deal with me and not no, me not knowing anything about like I'll say, oh, I want the sound to be like this and not, not knowing technical terms for it because in – Every other thing I've ever done has just been sitting in front of a laptop microphone and doing the song in one take. And if I don't make any mistakes, then that is the song. Well, I think one thing to keep in mind, because the way I've recorded songs for the most part, and I even did this with Russ, is like, you have to sort of record to a metronome if you want to add a lot of good shit on top of it. All, you know, stuff that it keeps in time, like the real drums, for example, like you, you have to, um, I always set like, okay, this 
hopefully we'll be at 120 beats per minute, or if I, I can increase that or decrease that depending on the song, but metronome to keep time, especially if you want to have awesome drums like I have is really kind of important. Um, so that's like the only thing I think might be challenging because it's, it's, it's not something you're used to. I'm going to think I'm going to, I'm going to just end up having other people play most of the instruments. I don't think I'm going to play many instruments on this album because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm terrible at keeping time. I've, I've tried, like I've done a couple demos or I've, I've like worked on a couple ideas where I have a metronome and I'm doing multi-tracking and stuff and I can't keep time uh, and play it the same. I'm just, I'm a terrible guitarist. So like, no, that's I the hardest thing to up. do. That's always going to be the hardest thing to do. And that's kind of, I think I'm just playing live is gets annoying for me because it's really hard to keep time. I think I'm just going to end up having you and, and my friend Tony record all the, <laughs> the instruments. Uh, uh, um, but uh, It'd be great if you could do a live song because I think you have the energy for it. Like, if you can get a drummer and I could play bass and Tony could play guitar. Just for, like, even just one song. Like, you want to do a no yeah. means no kind of song. If Have you heard the news? You can find a drummer and we can just like, cause I haven't done that in a very long time either is just record a whole band and that'd be kind of cool to do, especially with, you know, yeah. a, a nice board and stuff. And I, I'd also, I don't want these songs to all sound the same. I kind of like the, uh, guided by voices where it's like, it feels like not only are these songs made piecemeal at different times and like just randomly added on and they don't have beginnings or endings sometimes and like the the b thousand thing like it also just feels like they're using different recording equipment which may not be the case but it feels like there are tracks where the drums were recorded on a four track and the vocals were recorded on a cassette recorder Like, yeah. Well, I try to vary, so like, vary up drum sounds. That's something I love doing. And I, man, guided by voices. You were mentioning, like, I think I don't know on the last episode or something. Like, I wish I could just get a Cliff's Notes version of the Cinecast. I would love to get a Cliff's Notes version of the nine albums that he puts out every year. Just like, what are the strongest songs on each album? And I can yeah. make a mix from that because he puts out way too much music for me to keep up with. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, that's you and me. In, uh, you you and me uh, uh, consume music very differently in that way, which is I have three Guided by Voices albums, and they're great. So I like Guided by Voices, and when I say I like Guided by Voices, I mean I like these three albums, and I may go outside of that sometime, but I'm probably just going to mostly listen to these three albums. That's probably healthy. I try to it's, I consume I mean, it's, too much. It is it it is what it is. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think there's really any value judgment to it. It's just like that's just how I do things. Which I'm just. I I am not particularly loyal to artists. <laughs> I, uh, you know, like I oh Woody Allen's one of my favorite directors of all time. Like, do I make an effort to go see uh, his films in the theater? No, I'm just not a very loyal person. Whereas, like, I'm sure in the event that Paul Thomas Anderson just kind of like has the career that Woody Allen had in like the late nineties, two thousands, where it's just like, Oh, he's just kind of doing the same thing. And like the, or the, even the career Woody Allen has now, where it's just like, okay, he's doing a thing. And maybe there's something interesting about this one, but it's not going to surprise you really. 
Like, and if, but I'm sure if Paul Thomas Anderson ended up doing that, you would still make an effort to go out to see his films in theaters. Yeah, I kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's just because you are a different kind of fan than I am. Yeah. I kind of like, I like, I like the things. Like, I like the movies I like, but I'm not like, I'm not reverent of the artists who made them. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I mean, like, there's certain directors too like even just like oh i'm so excited that the guy who made myth american sleepover has a horror movie coming out so like there's there's certain moments in time like that where you get really excited for you know like even just a, a random film to you know get you yeah, to the well, theater well, and you sure know. sure but that sort of thing's like a whole different sort of phenomenon right because like that sort of thing is this guy made one movie myth the american sleepover that wasn't like a mind-blowing amazing movie but it was like really good and it yeah. was like the the performances were really good and it just had a point of view and it was just well made and directed and it was just a very strong film and it just shows so much potential like oh this is a true artist like this isn't this isn't a like a super familiar genre but this version happened to be good because this actor was in it or like that it was just like oh yeah someone the writer director of this film is a very talented artist and then when the next film is even more critically acclaimed and it's a horror film, it's like, yeah, it's exciting to see, to to be surprised and to be like, oh, what's this? Like, you're seeing this artist form, you know? Right. I'm talking about the thing where it's like, there, nothing Robert Pollard is ever going to do now is going to be surprising, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so the idea that he releases three albums a year, like, that that, that means nothing to me because I'm not, I don't care about Robert Pollard. He's a no ent- He's a known entity to me and to me... To me, his work is B thousand, Alien Lanes, and uh fuck, what's that other got it by voices album? Do the collapse oh, is good. Uh that's not the one I'm thinking of. Um Isolation B-thousand, Drills. B thousand, Alien Lanes, and Propeller. Propeller was the third one I like. God, I don't think I've even heard Propeller. Wow. Propeller Propeller's ninety two. Hmm. Uh jeez. So, so yeah, Propeller, Propeller came before B thousand, so it's a little. It was, I, I think, it was like in like a studio recorded thing. <laughs> it's still pretty low fi but it's not like it. It isn't like the uh, Alien Lanes B thousand sort of sound. But like you know, or like No Means No. Like I just was randomly, I was watching a bunch of you know Amoeba Records. Um. Yes. You know how they have those videos where it's like, what's in my bag? And they have like celebrities and musicians and stuff come to Amoeba Records and they get to pick out a bunch of records for free. Um, and then they just talk to the camera about why they picked the record and what they like about it and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. I was I, I was I was watching those. So Oh, so you, anyway, this is a series that they have. And I was watching like a, just a ton of them. And some of them were great. I watched the Lou Barlow one. Which it was like automatically suggested to me because I was just listening to a lot of the Lou Barlow like solo home recordings, and then and then I watched the Jay Massius one and that was terrible <laughs> because Jay Massius is like he has destroyed his brain with drugs. This is a uh, Mission of Burma versus. I guess it's got some other extra crap with it. I'm not sure. Some unreleased songs, but uh. Oh yeah, I used to like, I mean, I like this record when it came out and, uh... Clearly. Um, yeah, like, listening to him talk is just, like, 
it's that thing that it's like when you see Ozzy Osbourne on the on that show, like, oh, like <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne talking. It's just like, oh yeah, this is a man riddled with drugs. Except Ozzy Osbourne has more energy. Jay Mascis seems to like not care. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, like that. Did you, did you listen to that episode of WTF? Yeah, that was pretty brutal. <laughs> that was that was that was real bad. I mean, in general, I'm not a fan of Mark Maron interviewing musicians because he isn't a musician the way he is a comedian. Um, yeah, it's just, just moments, you know, every now and then like, oh, that was a good interview. But yeah, like you have to sift through a lot of, to find mm-hmm. a quality one. Um, but, uh, yeah, but no, so then I watched one with Dave Grohl and Dave Grohl had a no means no album. And he said, this is the best hardcore band ever other than bad brains. And it was just like, I wasn't doing anything. I was just watching a bunch of fucking videos on YouTube. And I was like, you know what? I've always... I've always been interested in hardcore, but have always never been able to like get really into a band. Like you know, I like I like a lot of Black Flag album. I like Black Flag song. Gimme, gimme, gimme! I need some more. I like some songs by The Germs. But in general, I've never had a a hardcore band that I really liked because they're. It's just not uh it's just not based in pop hooks. <laughs> like very rarely based in pop hooks or melodies. Exactly. That's how I feel. So, I th- anytime Dave Grohl talks music, listen, because he's really good at talking about music and I like that way more than any Foo Fighters records. <laughs> Except maybe the first yeah, one. Yeah. So um so I was so I like I was like, fine, and I looked up uh No Means No's I looked up No Means No and the first suggestion was full album for uh I forget even what the name of it was. Um, Matt Carey Cameron. I, like, I listened to it. It was like amazing. And it's so good. And it was so exciting to just be like, I've never heard music exactly like this. But it's so news? good. And it's hitting all these buttons of music I like. And then I... And then... I posted about it on Facebook, and then someone left a comment like, "This album's also really good." And so I checked that album out. And I liked that album even more. I was like, "Jesus, like this is, like this is so good." And now I'm excited about No Means No. And eventually, I'm going to reach a point where I'm like, "Oh, okay." I started with their two best albums. I don't like necessarily the things they were before that. Before they found this sound, I don't necessarily like their new albums or whatever. And eventually I'm, it will optimize to me listening to those two albums and maybe a couple others. But right now at this very moment, I'm very excited. Um, and that's kind of the thing it is with, uh, David, what's his name? Who directed myth of the American sleepover, David Robert Mitchell. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Like that's how it is with him. I'm just like, Oh man, like I don't like, I, I'm not ready to just like canonize him because again, I'm not very reverent towards artists, but like I'm just excited to see what he has to do, and especially if it's getting all this acclaim. And I already liked his previous thing. Yeah, um, no, that's that's totally true. I think at this point, you know, I've I've sort of I've basically have gone on record in the past as saying like oh, I don't I don't get excited about new music, and yet like on Row3.com, I just decided to start a. Um, you know, column of sorts where I talk about what I listened to last month and it's mostly going to be new music and like hearing the new Sleater Kinney record was very cool. Like I was like, great, this is exactly what I want. This is reliably them. They're not breaking new ground. And that's, that's great to have that experience with a band that's been around for a very long time. But most, for the most part, 
I can understand like getting into something like no means no, as opposed to, you know, the latest Bjork record or whatever, because that's exactly what you come to expect. It's the exact same thing over and over again. Well, well, I Slater Kinney is actually like, you just said the reason why I haven't listened to the new Slater Kinney album, which is that it's like, people are just saying it sounds like their old stuff. And I'm like, well, then I'm probably just if I'm in that mood, I'm probably going to listen to the to the woods because that's the Slater Kinney album that I have the most that I have the most affection for because that was the first one I heard. So I'd probably just be better off listening to the woods yeah. since that's the one I like. It's definitely or, better. I mean, record. If I like, or if I'm in a more of a punk mood, I'll listen to their first two albums. Um. But at the same time, this can backfire for bands. Um, Radiohead in particular, when they branch out and have gone completely unmelodic and only have relied on just droney keyboard-type stuff, it's it's been a monumental disappointment. And I wouldn't mind if they went back to their old sound. I wouldn't mind if they went back to the bends and just... I don't know. Like, I, I mean... I don't know if I agree with you there because, like, I mean, I hate King of Limbs. Don't get me wrong, and I don't like In Rainbows. Like, King of yep. Limbs was aggressively horrible, and then King, I agree. In Rainbows, I just didn't like. But, um, uh, but I'm glad that they're doing that instead of like doing a second-rate version of the Bends. Because at this point, it just seems like if they were going to return to the Bends, that would be a conscious effort made okay. by them, and it's not something that comes naturally. And it's like, well, the Bends and OK Computer. And Kid A and Hail to the Thief. Hail to the Thief being my favorite. Hail to the Thief is my favorite Radiohead album because it simultaneously kind of does the thing you are talking about. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what I was going to say. Is like It starts off with guitar, like a guitar-heavy track. And that made me really happy and excited. Because I just think, especially when you see them live, they're, they're an intense band. They're very visceral. And yeah. I love that Hail to the Thief is one of those albums where every song sounds different and it's never boring. Um, and yeah. it sort of well, captures yeah, Hale, old school Hale Radiohead the... and new school Radiohead. Right, but more importantly, like, just the sounds in Hail to the Thief, like, they have songs that are of the mode of Kid A, but the actual sounds in the songs don't sound like Kid A. You know, they have songs that, like, you could see that maybe this was written during Ben's era or whatever, but like the actual sound of the recording is like the guitars don't sound like they did on yeah the Ben's or it's like it kind of splits the difference between familiar um, and and going out into different places. Right. Um, and I don't mind if they do crazy synth-heavy type stuff, like Mixomatosis is a fucking jam. I, like, I, I yeah. love that song. I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I think they just need more energy again. Yeah. I think that's just my, like, I... Because I, I don't mind, like, droney ambient type stuff to fall asleep to every once in a while, but I, I don't know, like, the, what they did with King of Limbs was so... Um, unengaging that it felt mm-hmm. like they just didn't care anymore <laughs> about like, you know, writing songs in the, yeah, well, yeah, well, that was the thing that, 
that really struck me about In Rainbows and King of Limbs, which is that um, Tom York's vocal style has just gotten to be stretch out every word into so many notes that all meaning of the word is lost. And you don't hear a phrase like kicking, screaming, Gucci little piggies just doesn't exist because all the words are stretched out over such long melodies that it's just like that the meaning of a line is it's a lot harder to part. That's what Bjork does well. <laughs> just like just, oh, yeah. you know, lingers on notes for. But a I, can't, long time. I can't. But I can't call King of Limbs a massive disappointment because I don't expect. <laughs> like I think I don't know. Like really, really great music is so fucking like really, really great. Any art is so hard to do, and it's like such a combination of hard work and luck and divine inspiration and just being in the right place at the right time. And like, like I, I never expect. The new album to be any good i never expect any new album to be any good i don't expect chance the rapper's next album to be any good like i like and if it is that's like that's great but it's fucking hard uh and so it's like i can't say it's a massive disappointment it's just oh i listened to it and i realized that i didn't like it so i never listened to it again and i never thought about it again like if someone asked like i still think of hail to the thief as radiohead's last album <laughs> because <laughs> for because because like for me it effectively it's not like a it's not like a it's not like a fanboy sort of like trying to erase the bad memory. Like, no, those don't count. Like, it's just like, to me, I don't think of them, you know? Um, but Bjork does weird things. Bjork does different things all the time. Doesn't she? Yeah. But I think vocally, I mean, I miss like, <laughs> I'm just sounding like old man Jim, but I miss old school Bjork of human behavior. Because those have melodies. Those those have things that pop and stick in your cranium. Oh, she's not really... She's but not she, melodically driven anymore? No, not particularly. Like, the last thing I truly, truly loved was her Dancer in the Dark soundtrack. Um, you know, and that's just a whole different beast. But I think... Like, she certainly changes things up musically. I just think, like, she's kind of in a rut lately. I mean, her new album, at least, is very personal, and I like that. But um, I, I don't get, like, that thrill that I would get for some of the songs that she has, you know, Michelle Gondry videos for. Like, there's just something about that era of Bjork where it's, like, hyper-ballad and all that stuff. Like, that stuff blows my mind, but... Um, yeah, she... I never... I was never get able to get into Bjork because it was too... It was too light. It wasn't driving enough. I can... I can do... I can do sort of trip-hop stuff, but it needs to have more impact, and Bjork seems to be always approaching things from odd angles, like... Bjork is rarely just head on like doing a song that New Order could have done. Like Bjork is always like Bjork writes hooks. Like that area you're talking about, like those songs have hooks. Yeah. Like those songs have strong melodies, but and those songs have those songs have percussion and stuff. Like it has all of the stuff, but it's just approached at weird angles. You don't like mid tempos type stuff in general. I think like just um, I mean thinking of of course Wilco and things like that stuff that just sort of sits there and doesn't really like yeah. have a propulsive energy to it. Yeah, I like I like an energy, and I like and I also like things to be abrasive. Like that's why I got super super into Suicide, mm. which is just like a lot of the a lot of those Suicide songs are actually kind of slower, but the. What, I like it's hard to even call it percussion because it's just a drum machine like a 1970s era drum machine kick drum runs through 
like run through like fuzz and reverb and stuff like just repeating do 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 or whatever like that's what that is what percussion is on a suicide song or at least on that first album like it just sounds so rough and weird and abrasive that even in the slower songs i can get really into it because there's rough edges and things that sound like really well produced and clean uh i can't get into but you like you like ELO and some melodic, well-produced well, they stuff. Write good pop, they they write good pop songs. Yellow is not one of my favorite bands, but like they write good pop songs. If I, if if Flaming Lips, if like mid, if like early '90s era Flaming Lips did an ELO cover, I'd probably like it more. You know, like I'd probably like uh, Evil Woman or whatever if it was Flaming Lips uh, early '90s. You know, if it was like a. Um, that would be interesting. I wouldn't mind hearing that. You know what I discovered? What? I think I like a Flaming Lips album more than the Soft Bulletin. Oh, really? Which one? Clouds Taste Metallic is really like sort of the nice bridge between Transmissions and Soft Bulletin. I think it came out in between those two. Yeah, and it's it did, it's got weird stuff. It's got propulsive drums. I mean, I think I think it is a little slower. Yeah, it's definitely slower than Transmission, so I don't know if you'll, like, fall head over heels in love with it or anything, but I just think that is the nice middle ground of the flaming lips that it would eventually sort of, you know, make it big and become huge. And then the sort of raw, punkish sound of that you love about them, too. Yeah. So I, I, do you think you could rec- do you think you could record something that sounded very like raw and have rough edges, or would your <laughs> would your just like producer brain start screaming and you would need to make everything clean and you couldn't have anything clipping? Ooh, that's a good question. Because I mean, I always after after I'm done with one record, I'm like, well, maybe in a year lightning will strike again, and I definitely wouldn't want it to sound like this last one. So I think the idea of doing something kind of raw and distorted and fuzzy and with shorter songs or whatever. I think that's that that sounds appealing to me, but then again, who knows? I might want to do something slow core like low. Yeah. Like low. Like, I just, sometimes I think that's a really cool vibe. Well, I was talking about my album. Like, will you go crazy when I'm like, no, I need it to sound worse, or I need my voice. You need to sound worse. (laughs) You know know what I mean? Like, I need that guitar to not, 
to be so low in the mix and you're like yeah but then it's just too loud and you can't hear the vocal and it's like no no, that's no, 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 like, no, no. like as a producer i can't be mr dictator whatever you no, whatever you want the... whatever you wanted to sound like like if you just wanted to sound like fart noises and cat sounds i'm fine you know like I, well i wouldn't go that far but i'm just like with with russ's album too that i produced um Oh my god. I... Oh yeah, that that was fuzzy. The pretty swans. Yeah, yeah, pretty swans. Mhm. Um, but yeah, no, that's exactly uh correct. Like I was very um open-minded and I I try not to, I you know, I wouldn't mind something that sounds like sleigh bells, to be honest. I don't know what that I I don't know what that sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you'd feel about it. Then what does it sound like? It's distorted drum machine with screamy kind of pop melody vocals. I know we had one of their songs on one of our earliest episodes. I don't even know if they're making music anymore, but they were huge oh, for a little while. Yeah. Sure, sure. The, the way that indie bands are. Yeah. But I also, huge, I also... Huge for 16 months. I also think... I don't know if you... Did you get into Galaxy 500 at all? Yes. Galaxy 500 is a great example of a slower thing that just sounds rough, where like, yeah. his voice isn't very... It, like his, his voice is very thin... And just the guitars are just, it's just this wash of fuzz. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song, like, even the songs, they don't have strong pop structures. Like, Please Don't Let Our Youth Go to Waste, I'm Obsessed With. That's, like, one of my absolute favorite songs. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and that's just, like, a really language. I mean, I could write a song like that just because that is a, that's a musician's song. I've been thinking about it. It's, like, it's a, it's kind of a bullshit dichotomy to, like, to impose um, because there are plenty of musicians who are amazing songwriters, and there are plenty of songwriters who are amazing musicians. But like, sometimes I listen to music like No Means No, and I'm like, man, these people are fucking musicians. Like, these people know how to make drums do a thing. They know how to make guitars do a thing, and they like they know how to jump between different, uh, you know, time measure like, uh, oh yeah, measurements and like, I could never tempos. do that. Like time time signatures and time signature. Yeah, yeah that so. that's that sort of thing. Oof. Like, even when people do something simple, like 3-4 or whatever, I'm, I mean, I can do 3-4, but I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck in 4-4. Four, four. I don't know if I can ever, like, yeah. go too crazy with that. I mean, I think I've tried a couple of times, but I don't know. I think it, I think at this point, um, something like Galaxy 500 would be where I'd like to go to, potentially. It's, it's, it's still raw, but very melodic, and, like, a song like Strange has a great hook. Mm-hmm. You know, da 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 Like that's really great. Or the or the or the guitar from uh Fourth of July. Yeah. It's just like that's that's just a great guitar riff. Like that's a great riff the way Day Tripper is a great riff, you know, that just sounds good. Yeah. Um Precisely. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I mean, um, it's 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 tough to talk like specifics about you know just exactly like oh this is exactly how I write music and blah blah blah. Like I mean, it's so different for 
almost like every album I've done, and I like that, and I like the fact that like, um, I get <laughs> I've gone through a lot of keyboards at this point because, at you know, at some points I go, I don't need this thing anymore. I'm not writing songs. Like I took a whole year and a half off, pretty much from recording, which was crazy for mm-hmm. me. And you know, I sold my last keyboard. And then when I got back, <laughs> by that as you sold your last keyboard and then immediately wrote a song that opened with the line, "I sold my last keyboard." <laughs> that sounds, it sounds like an opening of a country of a weird like modern country song. Yeah, and then I fell in love with my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 a different kind of country. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. no, I got beer for my horses or whatever that. There you go. So I mean, and then I come back and. You know, I get restless and I have a lot of feelings to get out. And I went and got a much better keyboard that I probably will never sell now. Because it's just like, okay, you've got everything I'm looking for. And the piano sound, pretty good. And that's another thing I loved doing with this album was like, you know what? I've been playing music at this church for free. Can I simply just ask them if I can play their piano during off hours? was a real treat for me because I'd never play a real piano. Um, I think, you know, the idea I had for the Lou Barlow song, um, what is that? What is the name of that song? It's not do what you want to do, but that's the refrain. Alone to decide. Yes. You know how boys are. You know how girls can be. Everything's a tragedy today. So like, I want to do, I want to do a cover of that song. I definitely think I need like real piano. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely for that, like, because I want it to be like slightly out of tune. You know what I mean? Like, it just needs to sound like a like someone banging on a piano. Yeah, which there's nothing like it. That's kind of yeah. You know, by the time I'm ready to retire, I hope I have a house where I can have a piano. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, it's it's really cool to talk music and get you know the fact that we're we 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 approach. I think we approach film criticism differently too, and I like that. I like that we have this different. Uh, dynamic going on and I think it'll be interesting to see how that meshes when we record together too. Oh, we're going to get where I'm going to get, I'm going to just become the, the asshole. Who's the, uh, it's like Brian Wilson or Billy Corgan or uh, whoever that guy was from uh, my bloody Valentine, Kevin Shields, (laughs) like Kevin Shields. Yeah, I think so. Like every story I ever hear about the making of Loveless, always just is like, this is the most insane thing ever. Who would? Oh God, that's one of my favorites. It, it's so good, but it, it took like three years to make, and like they re- they did a whole album and then threw it out to do another, like to do it over. Like, I think I've done that once, where I actually came up with yeah. a batch of songs and deleted them, which was, which I nowadays I keep everything in a hard drive. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, like. That's crazy to think about. Like, oh, we had this whole masterpiece, but we threw it away. Or maybe it wasn't a masterpiece. We'll never know. But I think that's really right. crazy when musicians do that. Um, I, um, I, the only thing I wish I had is I wish I had the actual like track listing for my albums because I have all of the files, uh, give or take like a half dozen really inconsequential little things. Um, but I have ever, all the music I've ever done. Like, I have the files for it. But a lot of it has just been stripped of all its ID tags. Oh. So do you remember? Do you remember Paradoila or Parrot Paradoila? I think. Paradoilia. 
I think so. thing i did after disorient oh okay it was i did it piecemeal which is i cut because of the way see that website we uploaded our music to cl clct.com no longer exists um the way that worked was you just uploaded so it was just like a band camp sort of thing like you uploaded songs and you, people could click on the songs and they would stream it um where and the idea is just like you create a album page and you upload all the songs and then all the songs are there. What I did was I created an album page and then I kept updating the album page once a day for like twenty days or whatever, where a new song was added and that was the concept of that album was that it would be like, in you would see the album being built in real time. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's and so like I I kept changing the album art every day as well. So, like, the album art evolved with it. I mean, this is, it's kind of basically the same. I, it's basically just, like, a less interesting version of what I'm doing now with the album development blog. But, yeah. But there's, but, like, but, God, all of those, I don't remember any of the names of any of those songs. And then there was, like, a whole other batch I did for a sequel album that was, that I just, like, threw up that was nothing. And it was just, like. It, it became almost compulsive with CLLCT where. Oh, sure. It, it was so easy. It was. It was great, and I loved it, but I mean, like, we were just churning out all sorts of shit at the same time, and, like, we did this thing where we did a monthly, like, oh, let's just throw a word and then see if we can write a song around it, like, Stingray and Hands, and... You know, we all wrote songs, and it was, it was cool. Like, I, I, I liked doing that kind of fun, collaborative type stuff, and... I mean, but at the same time... You really need, like, a community for that, though. Like, you really need a solid group of people because you can't do that sort of thing and expect just an outsider to be interested in the results. Yeah. Because usually the, the results just kind of feel tossed off or whatever. You know, like, because they are. It's just, like, they're just sort of songwriting exercises almost. Pretty much. You need, like, a f- community to create that sort of, like, feedback loop that that makes you want to keep recording. Yeah, I, but it, some things got out of hand, and there were people on there who had no business uploading music at all. Like, it was awful and unlistenable. And there was even, like, this rivalry between Tiny Folk and another band, which was ridiculous. Like, they, I don't... I, I was not I was not party to any of that. I don't know any of that. It's just dumb, childish behavior of, like, I hate Russ kind of music or whatever it was. And it was just... I don't know. I... Th- sometimes, you know, you be careful what you wish for. When you have accessibility and the ability to upload as much content as you want, anything could get sift through the cracks. And I know that's how it is with podcasts, too. <laughs> yeah, well, There's... the difference is the difference is uh, no one listens to each other's podcasts, so we can talk all the shit we want about another podcast. It doesn't matter. Mm, um, maybe. Well, I, we can talk about Doug Benson all we want. 
He'll never listen. Sure. So yeah, yeah. Do you get do you get afraid ever? Afraid? Yeah, like in general in your life. No, I. <laughs> do you ever get afraid? Do you ever get afraid? Like you start re- working on something and you're like, shit. Like I don't know how to move forward with this. Uh, and you start like overthinking things and you start uh, worrying about it. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a lot of those B-sides are just, like, incomplete songs, and, I mean, some of them sound complete, but I wasn't happy with them, and I would mm-hmm. say, uh, maybe I'll come back to this later, because I've done that. I've certainly, like, rewritten songs from the past and just brought them back for a new album or whatever. Um, like, I always envisioned um, Cancer in Disguise from Projector as being, like, this really sort of uh, loud, screaming heavy distorted rock song but i just decided to write on a keyboard at the time and i imagine that'll happen again at some point but um i definitely get afraid of just putting something out and wondering what people are going to think but yeah um for the most part i just put it all out and whatever happens happens and even the stuff that i felt was incomplete or wasn't the best or just you know i I just put it out and hope for the best. I don't know. Like I, I don't. When I used to critique, when it I too used much. to write, when I used to write songs, like the process was just I would sit down, I would be messing around with the guitar, something would happen that I liked, and then I would, and then I would spend an hour writing the song, and then I would spend thirty minutes, probably less, uh, recording the song, and then it was done. And I just, and I just sort of tossed them off, and I didn't really care about quality control or anything because it was just it didn't because it was just like open all winters that first ep i did was just like well that's so bad and so like just weird and just incomplete ideas and stuff like what is what what is this even learn to dance if you even try if you even try if you just give it a try you will learn to dance if you just give it a try you well this is this this album all of the songs have (laughs) like all of the songs mean something Oh, if I gotta see you without your justice, I don't think I wanna see you at all. Like, that's already, like, this is be- the best album I've ever done, you know? And yeah. then, like, and then, like, spawning, it's like, alright, well, I cut, a- I like this album, it doesn't have all those other weird additional things that I put in Praise the Lord and that I didn't like, and... Yeah, well, I apologize, I'm a liar or a coward, and I am... On the floor of the shower And I've been sitting here for hours So like in Spawning Like this is the best album I ever did, I've ever done And then like It just got to a point where I couldn't do that anymore Without actually Writing good songs <laughs> Like I just Like I can't Like just talk Like I used to just like I'd toss out 20 songs And there'd be about 6 of them I'd think were good songs And the rest were fine And then And now it's just like I'm sitting down and I'm like Oh this is terrible Like I can't do anything Like Like I have so many demos right now that would just be completed songs if if they were written and if I was doing it the same way I did it in 2008. Hmm. Which I don't mind that approach. Like even if you just release the demos separately, which I plan on doing too, is that's really cool. I don't. I, I sometimes you'd be surprised. Um, I think I even mentioned this with a couple of Wilco records. Like I like the demos more than the finished product, which is surprising mm-hmm. when that happens. But I I yeah, like that. Yeah, but I mean, I mean it's. It, it's and at the same time, I don't know how I'm gonna feel. 
Like I, I never go back and listen to something like Pretty Swans and go, oh, that wasn't that wasn't very good or that wasn't well done because they're not necessarily my songs and I don't have to like freak out. I just produce the thing, and I think that would appeal to me more now too. Is like just producing other people's music, and I wouldn't be so much all up in my head about the lyrics or the singing or whatever. Like that appeals but to can me you the go most. Go back and listen to like oh, what was that name of the album you did? Like Fire Fire in the Mountains or whatever. Oh God, um, yeah, I'm. See, there, there, I put out so much at different points in my life that I'm not happy with that I go back and go, meh, that wasn't very good. But at the time, I did think it was good. Yeah. So I wonder if, like, you know, five years from now, I'll be like, oh, allo, allodynia. <laughs> you never know. I, but I think, um, I think I can be happy. Well, like, a- if I stopped writing music completely, I would be happy with Deathless, Telstar, and this new one. Like, I'd be like, okay, I wrote, like, Maybe twenty awesome songs out of all the songs I put out that I can mm-hmm. be really happy with, and you know, not overthink about or go back in hindsight. And because I don't really think I ever once said, "Ugh, Purple Heart, yuck, that didn't turn out good." So I'm glad I yeah, had that like, experience. I, I, it's ugh. Not, all of my songs have something about them that I go, "Ugh." Um, I think like literally the only song I think that just works on its own that I, and I'm not, yeah, whatever, you know, you, you feel differently about my music than I do. And that's the other, that's the other, like, you can't be objective about your own music because when you're writing and recording music, you just perform the same song over and over and over and over again and listen to the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And you walk o- and you just walk away and you're like, well, that's super catchy. It's stuck in my head. It's like, of course it's stuck in your head. You listen to it fucking thousand times over the course of three days. Mm-hmm. Like, so you like, you can just think like, oh yeah. But then like a couple years distance, you go back and you're like, what is this? <laughs> like, this isn't really anything, but you were just sort of lost in the haze of creating it. So like, I think the only song of mine that I'm really actually like, okay, this is just a well-written song. It gets across the feeling I want to. The lyrics don't, don't embarrass me. The the core I like the I like the way the guitar sounds. Um, I like the structure of the song. How there's no chorus like is uh, vodka and orange soda. And the tires were sliding. I was counting the streetlights, and I'm biting my tongue. I could taste my blood. And you were trying to get to sleep. Yeah, you are trying to get to sleep. Yeah, you are trying to get to sleep. Yeah. Like, that's the only one that I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm into that. Um, it's, but, it's good when you have that feeling. But you should feel that way about yeah, more is. of your songs. Yeah, no, I know. I know. That's, I, that's why I said you feel differently than me. That's, that's fine. I'm not going to I'm, – I'm not going to be a person who's super happy with things I do. And that's just like I'm, – I'm, I've never been that person, uh, and I probably never will be, and I'm fine with that. I'm intermittently um, happy with some of the yeah. things I do. I mean – I know that uh, you mentioned that too. It's like, oh man, cryptography, that's such a great chorus. But in the reason why it is catchy and still stuck in my head is because of the number of times I tweaked it and listened to it and played it in the car. Yeah. That's an interesting point too. I think it maybe for the next album, put out all 30 songs and have everybody choose which 14 should make the album. Well, well, well that, that goes to the different problem, which is who cares really? <laughs> yeah. Like, Who's hearing this music? And who... Okay, let, let me rephrase well, that. Well, CLLCT who, made it easier for a exactly, bunch of musicians to who, listen to it. Who is hearing this music that isn't your friend and isn't going to say nice things to you? Yeah. I mean, that's a good point at this point. I mean, if that's you're not out why I want music shows, blogs to hear it and see if I'm crazy or not. <laughs> I mean, if you're not... Like, 
if you're not at performing shows, then people aren't going to, then it's not like people who don't know who you are are listening to it. Pretty much the only people who are listening to your music know who you are. And which is fine. Like, that's a perfectly fine way to make music. I'm not saying like that makes it invalid or that means it's shit or whatever. But it's just like trying to do anything in which the in which that requires some sort of listener feedback, I think, is setting yourself up for disappointment. Like I remember I think it was it was either I think it was Radiohead. They did a they did like a thing where they put all of these separate audio tracks for one of their songs from In Rainbows out and they were encouraging people to remix it. Oh yeah. I remember when that was. And a then thing. you and and then you did that with one of your songs and no one did it because it's just like, well, that's a lot of work and like oh, yeah, I'll, I'll I forgot listen. I did that. <laughs> yeah, like I'll listen. To, I'll listen to your album, but like I'm not. I'm not a, such a huge fan of you that like I'm going to dedicate hours and hours of my life to doing a remix. Oh, I know, and I, I think the idea. It's not even seeking validation in any way. It's more of just like. I want people who aren't my friends too to hear this music, and even if they hate it, fine, I don't care. Like it, that's why the idea of submitting it to music blogs is kind of a nice idea, and I haven't done it in a very long time with any of my albums, just to see what becomes of that. Even if it's nothing, yeah. or if it's mediocre, middling reviews, fine, that's cool. Um, but I again, like the the next the back in the past, the normal next step would be send this to as many record labels and just hope for the best. I don't have that drive anymore, but I would have that for instrumentals. Like if, if but that drive is, but that drive is also they're they're different things though because your your goal for this album is not make a living off of it. Like that's just not really an op, a realistic option. Correct. Like that, that. So that was never that was never like thought one in your head when you were making any of that album was just like oh yeah this is going to be the thing that makes me. Whereas like you're and and. You know, conversely, when you send music to record labels, you're not looking for feedback. You're looking for them to sign you, you know? Yeah, but I know that's so not going to happen, and that's fine. Right, right, right. No, 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 but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, you're, you're seeking different things when you are putting out music. Like, I'm assuming in sending this music to blogs, you're just trying to get more people to hear it. Like, that is the end goal. Yeah. I also just want to hear different op- from i just want to hear some opinions from people who i don't know like yeah exactly and to me that's exciting if that does happen so right um we'll see so, and like, it's, it's so just to me it feels just, like a different you, thing you never know like how do we have you know uh, 1100 downloads for our best of episode and you know we get a few amount of emails here and there but like who are these 1100 people we're never gonna know like it would yeah. be crazy if you had like specific numbers of like this email or this person downloaded it i just think it's it's cool when that happens and i'm excited and podcasting happy. is the podcasting is the dumbest this is it's this weird is why by the way this, but this is why by the way podcasting is not a thing like this is why no one has figured out how to make money from podcasting unless you're literally already a famous person like the old like the reason you can't make money from podcasting is because you have no idea who's listening and it's like well who is like where it's like we have this like how many listeners do we have i don't know do is the number of listeners we have equal to the number of our, like, the number of downloads on our least popular episode? So it's like, those are actually our core fan base, is the people who listen to the Claire Denis episode or whatever, like the 600-something people who downloaded that? Or is it like, or is it the, the 1,100 people who downloaded the Best Of episode? Or how many of those people are listening to it for the first time? And, like, is yeah. there even such thing as the, like, are there bots downloading it? Like, are those download numbers accurate? Like, how many podcasts have you downloaded? Like, how many podcasts do you have on your iPhone or iPod or whatever right now? 
that you haven't listened to that you downloaded a long time ago because you thought, oh, yeah, I should listen to that, and you never did. Yeah. Like, how many how many of those are those? You don't know. And it's just like, oh, well, if there's no way to get demographics, then no one's going to pay you any actual money for advertising. We'll do a we'll do a per, you know, a per sale thing where it's like, oh, sure, if they use your code at the checkout, we'll kick back a tiny, like, a tiny fraction of what our sale was or whatever, like the audible.com thing. And that's like, oh, you... So I guess you can't monetize it. So I mean, we should f- we should make an effort to try and do the ad thing a little bit, just to have some revenue to pay for the, you know, the feed itself. I guess. I mean, I I disagree. I disagree strongly. I don't know. Like at this point, there has to be some. I mean, I I, I love doing it for free. I don't mind doing it, the, keeping it the way it is. But I just hear like other podcasts that are even. I don't know, I wouldn't say smaller than us or whatever, but they're just doing, you know, like, audible.com. And, yeah, yeah, you know. but those, I'm saying, those ads, they don't get paid for the ads, they get paid for everyone who uses the code. Okay. They get paid per, per so, like, they're potentially putting ads on their on their podcast and not making any money from it. I see. I like, see. do you know how many people have to use your code before you get the $30 it costs or whatever to, like, pay the server fee? Like, mm. like we would never reach that. It. To me, like, that's not a solution. That's just, like, watering down our product for something that maybe isn't actually gaining us anything. Like, that's why I'm so, like, I'm not against the idea of finding a way to monetize this some way, but I definitely don't want to have to do the thing where it's like, okay, well, we, eventually we have to do so many of those things that we just have 10, 15 minutes out of every podcast is us selling different shit. Yeah, I wouldn't like that either. I like the option of just doing a fucking, of, like, I'm putting, I'm editing an audio file and i'm putting it into your itunes uh, that as you if you subscribe like it shows up there and what is that file is it just a typical episode the way we do it now is it like the tarkovsky episode where it's literally just one sustained conversation that kind of does a slow fade into tarkovsky and a slow fade out of tarkovsky like the tarkovsky discussion is it the nicholas rogue thing is it some weird bonus episode that makes no sense that has no explanation like i like the freedom of that and once you're just like, oh, we have advertisers, so the beginning of every show and then the middle show of every show, like, like if you want to do it in a way that actually makes you money, you have to be able to do it in a standardized way. And doing it in a standardized way means dedicating yourself to putting out a standardized product, which I don't want to do. Yeah. Well, I tried getting us perks, and I don't know if we have the numbers to get any perks. And it was more or less just being added to a studio mailing list where you may or may not get screeners and all that crap. Yeah, yeah. And that, like that kind of stuff all makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. And I think at this point, I'm just happy with the way things are. So, yeah, you know, no worries. And, like it, and as far as, like, putting out content, like, podcasts are fucking cheap. <laughs> like. Pretty much. Like. Like, we put out three hours of content, and it costs us nothing. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it really doesn't, like, you know, it's not like we change our spending habits dramatically. Like, we do see more movies than we would normally, but it's not like we, it's not like we wouldn't be watching a ton of movies. It just sort of changes which (laughs) movies that that money's going towards sometimes, you know? Yeah, I will say that, like, I can't binge on, on Fassbender, like, it's it's exhausting. Like I try, I tried watching two in a row one night, and I was like, "No, I can't do it. I need to watch some. I need yeah. to watch fucking Edge of Tomorrow or something after that." I've been I've been putting off because I'm getting the same vibe. I, I like Fastbinder more than I like the Vendors, but I'm getting the same vibe where I'm just like, "Oh, there's just something I'm missing," and I I feel that way a lot with German cinema. 
outside of like Werner Herzog, because Werner Herzog doesn't seem to be directly responding to the Berlin Wall in a way that a lot of German cinema is. That I'm just like, it's just this weird cultural, like insanely important cultural influence in these films that I'm just not picking up on at all. And it just feels like I'm getting half the movie. And Fassbender, there's a lot of other stuff I do like. Uh, I mean, again, I've only seen the one movie, but I've just been afraid to keep diving in because I'm just afraid I'm going to, I'm going to, it's all going to be opaque to me the way Vim Vendors ended up being. I think uh, Veronica Voss is one of the most accessible films that he's done because it's like his version of Sunset Boulevard with, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, addiction and just a lot of themes that you're used to, but just told in a very different way than what you're used to. And I, Mm -hmm. I loved that movie. I thought it was great. I think he, I think he does incredibly well, well done portrayals of women, but we'll talk about that later on. Sure. Sure. I just think uh, it's I, it's hard to just like say okay let's watch a bunch of his movies in a row because mm-hmm. oof they can they can get they can get pretty overwhelming. Sure, sure. Um, God, yeah. Let's go back to music for a second. Oh yeah. I hope people I think... love digressions on our show. That's the one thing like yeah, I yeah. always worry about when I read iTunes reviews and like these guys digress too much. I'm worried for I'm waiting for that review. Yeah, no, no, we're just too long. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> like nine out of ten listeners agree too long. Um, and then there's like the other listener who has an insanely long commute. It's like no, 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 no do not make it short. <laughs> I know, I know that feeling of just like it's a like it like Wednesday is when the Idle Thumbs comes out, and when I was like commuting a really long way to Whole Foods and listening, and like that would be how I spend my commute there and back. It would just would be listening to an episode, and I'd be like, I'd feel happy because I'm like, all right, sweet, I have Wednesday taken care of. I can listen to this. And when I download the episode, and it was only like an hour and fifteen minutes or whatever, I'd be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like it could like the actual content of the episode could still be great, but like in my mind, there's a certain amount of time that needs to be a t- certain amount of time in my life <laughs> over the course of a day that needs to be filled with podcast. Um, and I only have so many that I actually enjoy, unlike you. Yeah, I have too many. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it works for you, it works for you. I'm not saying you have too many. I'm just saying you have way more. You, you, you like you are way more forgiving than I am. Yeah. Again, loyal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess that's just yeah the way you consume things. That's different than me. Yeah. Did, did have you read a recent review of us where you're called a manic pixie dream boy? I think that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I am manic. Like I talk quickly. So <laughs> Yeah. But that's just like to me that's just what broadcasting is. Like I just I listen to radio, so it's just like I know I don't know. I, I <laughs> that's what broadcasting is, says the guy who pauses and stutters and says like every five seconds. Um yeah, I think I am That's what we do. I think I am more I think I am more afraid to finish songs now. Because I know they're not done, because I have to re-record them, and I have to worry about, like, I have to worry about things I never had to worry about, where it's, like, my albums, like, I had fast songs that's, like, yeah, conceivably this could have been a rock song, but I don't have those mean, I don't have any of that available to me, it can... so this is ju- just a song that, on an acoustic guitar, performed in one take. That's what and it could like, be. It could be whatever you want it to be at this point. Like, no, you don't I have can't to do that it. anymore. I can't do that anymore. I can't listen to any of that. I think it's so terrible. I I don't want to put out an album of music that I can't listen to. I can't do just... I'm like, I'm not a good guitar player. Like, if I was a really strong guitar player, then I would have no problem with it. But I'm just like... 
yeah, I'm not a good guitar player, and I think I probably write songs that are better aided with drums and other instruments. And yeah, stuff. that's probably true. But at this point, like you know, you're a good songwriter, and you know you have a lot of emotion. So that's all. Sometimes that's all it takes for me. Like, I'm that, that only one of those is true. Uh, for I, me, Jim. I, well, I think you've written some good songs in the past. I know you have. I'm just saying, like, I don't know that. Um. Hmm. How do you? Make yourself think that. I don't think it's possible. You can't. You can't. No, it's not. I just, I do it because I do it. I have written okay songs, like, that have, that there are things I admire about them, but, um, no. I just, ugh, I'm I'm definitely, like, overthinking this album. And doing the blog where I'm, like, uh, putting all of those thoughts into words all the time is, like, it's interesting, and it's definitely... But it's also like it's making it way, it's making it way less uh, um, organic. Not necessarily even organic, but just spontaneous. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of yeah. I I don't know if I could write a blog about the songwriting process because I don't know how to put it all into words most of the time. Like I couldn't do a music podcast as much as I'd love to, you know, talk about records and why they're great. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think. It's even it's hard to put into words, and sometimes it's even hard to put uh, a lot of the movies we cover into words, and that's frustrating. <laughs> that becomes yeah, a challenge I movies, want to overcome. You know, at least film, at least you know, broadly the category of film that we mostly talk about is narrative. Yes, so you can talk about things in narrative terms, and that's more concrete. And then you can talk about film techniques, which are less concrete, but you can talk about them in regards to how they influence the narrative. And it's, like, easy. Whereas music is just, like... How how the fuck do you explain why 96 Tears is the greatest song ever? I don't know, but it is. Yeah. Like... I know. I even tried to play the organ in one of my instrumentals like that. At the... Towards the very end, I just started pouncing on... Like that... Oh, yeah, yeah. I tried doing that because of 96 Tears. It's weird how little influences sneak up on you like that. Like I don't, I didn't mm-hmm. consciously set out to do it, but then once I heard, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do." Clearly, because I love that so much. But you wouldn't, you would not be the first. Um, yeah, of course. And uh, you know, there's certainly like I still think at some point you you'd be you'd be a great sort of garage rock frontman. Like just like if <laughs> if you were able to get a house with a garage and get a bunch of musicians and just rock out, you know, I think that would be your niche. <laughs> I think it, why is that? Because I just, I just, I don't know. Like the the sort of raw primal scream kind of approach to, it doesn't even have to be hardcore, but it's just, there's just something mm-hmm. because of your energy and because of some of the songs you've written in the past, the 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 tempo of them or whatever. I've always heard them as kind of loud, aggressive, garage yeah. rock kind of style. Well, I mean that's that's definitely the way I'm thinking of them. Is it somewhere in between the kind of folk rockiness of Ockerville River? And of like Black Sheep Boy and stage names Ockerville River. Yeah, um, they got they were way they're way more folky in the earlier albums, but like they and the, but like just yeah that that sort of balance in stage names and Black Sheep Boy and something like Sebadel or Dinosaur Junior or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Look at that sandwich. It's a big one, Gordon. <laughs> oh, 
Wow! Look at that! Silence!